Often as parents, our generation in particular, I think sometimes we treat parenting as an avenue where we have to create this perfect environment and these perfect set of circumstances in order to raise outstanding children. And when you read the stories of these men and these circumstances within which some of them fathered, they were anything but ideal circumstances. Yeah. And so that that's another theme that is really, really powerful to take from the book in that the rockiness and the challenge and the strenuous circumstances that they found themselves in not only did not hinder the goodness of what came from their children, but probably caused it. I hope this episode of The Cultural Hall really gets you in the mood for Father's Day. And I know you think, what, like in the Christmas spirit, like in the Father's Day spirit? But I really love the lessons that are shared within this episode. Being able to learn from those that we look to for guidance, whether it be spiritual guidance or some sort of connection with God or, or you know, explanation of the commandments or scriptures, uh, those prophets, but then where they got some of their instruction, earthly, spiritual, whatever the thing is, I love being able to know more about the characters of these men and those who went before them. And so I hope you really enjoy that episode. And I hope also, as you're listening to the various stories be told, that uh, you take the time to uh, focus on, on your own father for, for whatever that meant, for whoever that was in your life. I recognize that there be, may be someone listening who, uh, who you know, his, his or her father passed away. Or maybe you don't know your dad, but I know you definitely have that father figure in your life, even even if the only father figure you have in your life is your heavenly father, I think that there is a, a great practical application to being able to to hear stories, uh, be able to hear the imperfections and and sort of the journey, the adventures of of what sculpted and and crafted these men who would then later become prophets of the church. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It is a special Father's Day episode as we celebrate uh, fathers around the world. Uh, this time of year, we we like to think about how we're not going to be giving them flowers in our sacrament meeting. We're not going to be giving them special gifts of chocolate. It'll likely be a last-minute gift that is not of great value. However, <laughs> this episode is of great value. I'm joined by uh, two authors. Uh, I'm joined by Becca Thornton and also Emily Jones. Uh, they, along with their mother, have written the book Fathers of the Prophets, a sequel. And and to illustrate my point that I set up this whole thing, you guys did Mothers of the Prophets first. Fathers, always a second thought. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting us be here. Good to be here. If people haven't read uh, Mothers of the Prophets, it's essentially uh, lessons that those mothers... Uh, of the prophets, uh, self-explanatory title, uh, we're able to teach them. And we'll obviously get, because it's Father's Day, uh, to the lessons that fathers of the prophets uh, taught them. But I want to get to know you two first. We'll go with Emily, because that's the name that I have written down first on my pad of paper. Emily, tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about you. So glad to be here with you, Richie. Uh, we, you know, Becca and I have a shared history. We have a shared history, obviously, and we we really grew up in a family that valued people and understanding how people tick, where they come from, why they do what they do. 
Um, I think Beck would like to tell you actually a little bit about our grandfather. Okay. Um, well, well, grandfather. well, hold, hold on, oh. hold on, you sure. guys. I, want, <laughs> I do want to know about the grandfather and where this comes from, but give me, a, give me an idea of who you are. Sure. So I, I am the mother of five children. Okay. And I'm the oldest in the family. I'm like the oldest child that looks up to the second oldest child. Oh, <laughs> uh, right? yeah. We got to yes, share yes. a room growing up, bunk beds and all. Yeah, we fought and we had fun. Did you? Did it you? All happened. Share share the clothes either willingly or begrudgingly. Oh, it was knockdown, drag out battle about the clothes. <laughs> well, who won? We called it seizing, which means grabbing. Whoever yeah. grabs first gets the clothes. Yep. <laughs> It depends. You ask who won. Mm -hmm. Depends on what you mean by won. I won out of sheer dominance as the oldest, sure. but she won out of sneakiness. Uh, so when I was gone, the clothes disappeared, right? It's true. Yep. Guilty. My grandpa always used to say that the first one up would always be the best fed and the best dressed. <laughs> yeah. It's true. So now we can dive uh, a, a little bit into it. And Becca will come back and pick up a little bit more about who you are. But so grandfather, grandfather is the one who instills this desire to know where people are and who they come from. Grandfather is Leonard J. Arrington. Okay. Mother's father, who was the church historian for 10 years from 1972 to 1982. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we continue especially in our adult life to really appreciate i don't know if we appreciate it as much when we were children as home but that he had a a true love of all kinds of people i remember when he passed away and we were back in 99 and we were at his funeral it was incredible the spread of people that were there and it wasn't just admirers it were everyone was a friend they felt like he had a vested interest in their life because he really did the prophet was there you had people who, who uh, say they're atheists who were there. You had all incomes and education levels. And he just had a love for real people. I think that you find a lot of power when you try to really see not just what a person does or is interested in, but, but who they really are, what makes them who they are, what helps them through the hard times. Or you see somebody who's angry and there's more to them than that emotion, you know, things like that. And so he liked to write about truth. He wrote about people. He wrote about the good and the bad. He was not a, a painter of just the rosy picture, although he was someone to look on the bright side. Mm -hmm. And so he mentored our mother in teaching her that same craft of being able to tell the true story, the facts and all of the things that you might admire and look down upon all of it. And so now she invited us to come into that same fold to be able to study into the lives of real people, families, in this case. And, and as you read through the book, I think one of my favorite things, and we were doing one of the interviews, the, the person we were interviewing was concerned that this book was going to be focused on like how to raise a prophet, mm -hmm. like something like that. And it yeah. is not that. Darn in it. Fact, Darn it. I was hoping. Yeah, like, yeah there's just no manual yeah. for such a thing. I was, but you know what? Interview over, ladies. I, I was hoping to figure out how to raise a prophet. <laughs> That's what I thought. As prescriptory, uh, you know, writing of then do this, then do this. Forget it. I'm out. It's not there. But what is there is that although they have in common that they all raised a prophet in the perfect way that that prophet needed, I would say, I think we both agree with that, that the Lord uses all kinds of people and all different circumstances to bring about his work. You just don't find this cookie cutter thing with where each of these sons was born into this certain circumstance and therefore he was able to have the 
the ability to do his ministry is very different for what they would need in their time. Well, and something that I think a lot of people, if they're unfamiliar uh, with Leonard Arrington, that they can certainly respect, as, as you've sort of keyed up a little bit, is there would be things in the time uh, of him being historian of the church that he, I don't want to say became embattled, but he was very passionate. Can we put it, we can yeah. we can couch it that way. Very passionate in making sure that the story as it actually occurred or the very real portion of that story was told. Even if there were some bruises or some perhaps ugly marks, some things that with 21st century eyes, we look back and go, "Ooh, man, I wish we could change that about the church. Leonard was very uh, passionate about being like, no, let us tell it how it was, not how we wanted it to be or wish that it was. Absolutely. And I think that he really felt like there was nothing to be ashamed of in our history. Mm-hmm. And that, that when we present it as it is, there is a power in that. There's a power in that because it extends down to all of the rest of us with our warts and our errors and our weaknesses. It gives hope. Mm-hmm. It gives hope that goodness marches on in our individual lives and in the history of the church, that that goodness marches on despite the weaknesses and frankly, some of the really awful weaknesses yeah. of, of, of some of those in our history, that that does not um, diminish goodness from marching forward. And uh, I, think, I think people will sense that message in the book. Mm-hmm. Often as parents, our generation in particular, I think sometimes we treat parenting as an avenue where we have to create this perfect environment and these perfect set of circumstances in order to raise outstanding children right and when you read the stories of these men and these circumstances within which some of them fathered they were anything but Mm. ideal circumstances yeah and so that that's another theme that is really really powerful to take from the book in that the, the the rockiness and the challenge and the the strenuous circumstances that they found themselves in um, not only did not hinder the goodness of what came from their children, but probably caused it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, one of the things, just as a side comment to what you said, I really, I really like for me when I know that the people that have gone before me aren't perfect, it allows me to have hope knowing, hey, you know what? They did okay. They weren't perfect. And being able to actually uh, see and hear and read them being presented as such, I'm like, okay, I've got the things that I've done wrong. Maybe there's hope for me. I have to ask you guys this, being that this is sort of a, a the, the book, and we're, we're not going to read the book, but we are going to tell some stories from within the book in, in the time that we have together. Um, do, do you ever, with the connection with Leonard Arrington, do you ever sneak in the Arrington with you, within your name so that people will either take note or give you sort of that credibility with Leonard Arrington? You know, I actually mostly like to mention his name with people I know who know him, okay. like really know him. Right. For example, there's a friend of ours who was a lawyer and he hadn't made the, the family connection. He knew our grandfather and he knew me, but in separate circumstances. Okay. So I knew that he was at the same school as my grandfather. And when I brought up the name, it just was this sudden bond. Mm-hmm. And he said, I would go to your grandpa's office. I was trying to get a letter of recommendation. And so your grandpa was interviewing me. And one of the things he said was, 
so what books are you reading? And he said, what do you mean what books I mean? I mean all the books you're assigning in class, which was a ton of books. Grandpa was a voracious reader. And he's like, well, no, like, what are you reading for fun at home? And, and he's like, well, nothing else. And it was kind of a, you got to be reading for yourself, you right. know, kind of thing. And so just to hear those stories, I'd love to learn more about him. Because so many of our memories growing up are the grandpa memories, which are wonderful and endearing. The funny things you do to try to keep a child from crying and the foods that he liked and the way his belly would shake as he laughed. But it's kind of a way of learning more about him on this other avenue of things we didn't know were going on. Sure. I I, I, I only bring it up because I it's just such a funny thing within um within church culture that if we have connections to people of significance that we do it and and by no means am I saying that you guys did it but it is peculiar to me where it's like oh uh you know I'm I'm a Worthland McConkie <laughs> and and then people are like oh oh Whoa. oh well then come on in I had no idea it's, it's just a funny nuance thing within the church that I think it, it it's funny we all do it if I had a Hinkley or a Monson in my background I would absolutely do it but uh <laughs> As it stands, we're, we're we're all Stedmans going back as far as we go. Um, all right, so fathers of the prophets, uh, I I've got to ask just sort of the the setup of the of the whole book. People can check it out. It's Deseret Book. Uh, you'll find a link for it in association with this episode. Being able to purchase it, a great gift to either get your father, or if uh, you have someone that's going to be a father, or just love someone who loves church history, a, a great opportunity. Um, does it does it go like we go back to Joseph Smith and then it kind of brings us for chronologically or is it just a smattering of stories from from various prophets? Yes, yeah, so this book runs chronologically. It does and it actually provides a rather fascinating new angle onto the history and scope of the church because as these men are you know coming into contact with the gospel in various ways or or however involved they are you see in the background the history of the church running. These were the men that were actually experiencing the landmark events of the church. Mm -hmm. And so it does, it, it runs chronologically from Joseph Smith Sr. on through Nelson. We did it with focusing one chapter per father. So there's cool. 17 chapters in the book and each chapter is solely about that one. And another angle that we also put in as well is we put a little smattering of the history of the area that they were living in. So as you progress through the book, you hear way back of King George during the revolution and what's mm. going on there. And then mm -hmm. it will come in the great depression. You'll see how that was affecting families at that time. And then onto technology and cars coming in that all of that grows as the, as the book moves on. Cool. And you probably also, because there are some familial lines within the prophets and their relation to previous prophets, an opportunity to see how that kind of carries on uh, through generation to generation. Let's take a break real quick. And when we come back in the second and third block of the cultural hall, it's story time. So get yourself a snack, sit down on the story rug. We're going to talk about some of these stories and lessons that we can learn from the fathers of the prophets. We'll do that coming back. Hey, it's me, Richie T. I want to take a second and talk to you about best DJ in Utah, or I should really say right now, best guy who cleans out his carport and best guy who cleans out his storage unit and best guy who cleans out his carpenter studio and has done a lot of episodes of the cultural hall. Not a lot of DJing happening right now, as you can imagine with the quarantine, it is the socially responsible thing to do, but 
I will promise you this. I bring the party. As soon as this is lifted, as soon as these rainy clouds of self-quarantine are gone, I will bring the party. Now, you're going to have a work party? Great. You're going to have a church party? I do the church parties, too. You're going to have a wedding or special day, or maybe you just want to have a post-corona party. I would love to be that DJ for that party. You can hit me up. You can get a quote, simple and easy, at bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, uh, take an opportunity, won't you please? If you like this episode, other episodes that we've been doing recently, uh, you've, you find them bettering your life. You find them uh, something that you look forward to listening to. We would love it if you would go online and support us via our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash theculturalhall. Uh, you can make a donation on the monthly, and you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group. Uh, you also get to be a Patreon saint as well. So check that out, patreon.com slash theculturalhall. Would love to have you uh, be a part of that group. It helps us do things like pay for Zoom and pay for chairs to be able to sit in, and uh, the electricity that allows this episode to occur. So uh, check it out, patreon.com slash theculturalhall. Ladies, are we get, how are we doing this story? Are you guys doing it in tandem? Do you each have a story that you're going to tell me? How do you want to go about this? Oh, the hardest part's going to be picking the stories, but we have a bunch. Okay, We're all right. There, just so like just like now? any oh. good just like any good parent, you have favorite children, so I'm sure you'll have favorite <laughs> stories. Oh, you're going to love them. Absolutely. Well, we have to start with Joseph Smith Sr. I feel like that's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> we have to begin with him. I think I think he is one of the more familiar figures in church history, most certainly, and I. You know, the, the aspect of Joseph Smith Sr. that I think is most fascinating for us is his wary and distant skepticism of organized religion in general. Um, some are not aware of his, he had, he had a really a, quite a deep distrust of organized religion in general. And his, his father actually maintained the same perspective, fierce belief in God. Um, powerful belief in God, Bible reading, Bible reading, all of the habits, prayerful, gather the family, reading the Bible, um, very, very, very um, engaged with God um, on a very personal level, um, but inherited from his father a dislike of the belief of the day that God was a punishing figure and a stern figure. Um, that was That was an idea that he it was largely preached by the people of the day in religion, and he rejected that idea. had had a, had a deep skepticism of organized religion, um, and I think that, in my opinion, Joseph Smith Senior was perhaps Joseph Smith Junior's most remarkable convert. Hmm. For that reason, because um, because for one. 
this deeply rooted skepticism that had 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 caused schism in the family for for years. There was there was mom and some of the kids going to this church and some siblings going to that church and he wouldn't. Joseph Sr. would not engage. He and if he did for a moment he would pull back into his spiritual shell so to speak. And so his conversion is is twofold remarkable in number 1 this is a man whose, whose skepticism was deeply rooted. And number two, this was a man who knew the character of his son. Hmm. He understood the work ethic. He understood the integrity. He understood the, um, the honesty of his boy's heart. And that combination of him understanding the character of his son, you know, really the tipping point for Joseph's young experience with the gospel came when he had seen Moroni multiple times in the night and was weary the next day working in the field here at this tipping point where he's seen all of these things is keeping them to himself and then is directed by an angel to tell his father what he has seen. Mm -hmm. He tells his father and what does his father, Mr. Skeptic say? He says, it is of God. You do everything that the angel says. Do, do what he's asked you to do. And he was a ardent believer and participant in the organization of this organized religion from the very get-go. That's what makes him amazing. It, it's an interesting pickup um, because I think if you look if you look at uh, the history of Joseph Smith that is junior and you see the little pickups that you have about Joseph Smith senior, you can glean what you just told us, but I don't think as a narrative within the church that we often talk about that. We learn of Lucy Mack, you know, going to churches and that Joseph Smith was confused because, you know, some people were here and the family this. But we, we don't really get, um, unless you are aware of it and looking at it, that Joseph Smith Sr. was, uh, you know, a firm believer in God, but a not practicer of religion. And then, as you point out, that that conversion that comes through on the other side where, you know, he's the first patriarch of the church. and you know, essentially becomes the the father of more than than just the Smith family. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. That's kind of a fun pickup. And I'm sure <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that within the uh, within the book, it goes into greater detail. And and is there does it uh, with all these stories, is there provided sources or is it is it put in a narrative way that we can kind of go, oh, that that's fascinating. It's very much in narrative, but sourced at the end okay, of each cool. chapter. Cool. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, then now, you're on the spot now, Becca. Okay. So this next one that we want to talk about, we were just talking before about how Brigham Young is probably one of the most famous prophets throughout the world mm -hmm. in our church. Sure. He's one that when people hear their name, they know who he is, but I don't know how many people could say who his dad was, who his name, who, who is he? It was, so, it was Mr. Young. Let's hear it. How did you know? Brother Young. <laughs> Brother Young, Brother Young's dad, John Young. Okay. We love to talk about John Young because he was a very different style of parent, um, as you may imagine. Think about Brigham Young's character. Stern. What he was able to accomplish. Yeah. Stern, brave. Stay the un course. Unafraid. Unwavering. Yep. <laughs> and dance when you're done. Yeah. And all that kind of thing. <laughs> and so John, in his raising of his family... He really wanted to, to make something big for himself, which entailed going out into the boonies 
and settling, claiming land, clearing land, building homes. And this was intense. This was a no neighbor experience and he jumped on it multiple times. In fact, there's one story that we just discovered a little while ago. I don't know if this one is in print anywhere except in this book, is that he was out with some of his buddies doing some hunting and they came across one of the biggest bears that they had ever seen. Mm. And of course, everyone is fear struck, terrified. People start running and, and he and another friend stayed just to you know keep him where he was, keep him in the tree while the others ran off. Well, this bear, through a series of events that you'll read about, begins to come at them in oh attack. And they're saying, run, run, you know, and climb. And this John Young was able to kill that bear on his own. And this man who had run away was sure he had been devoured, that he was gone. But he comes back, he's got this bear in hand and was just famous throughout the area for being a no-nonsense kind of guy. Now, in the same experience, the same home, um, his wife, Brigham's mother, passed away when Brigham was quite young. And so this is leaving him to nurture and find all of the physical things that they need. And sometimes he didn't totally know how to do that. Hmm. In fact, there's one story where Brigham, as a 14-year-old, was left home alone with his younger brother, who I believe was eight, mm -hmm. with no food for at least two days. Wow. There was nothing there for them, nothing in the flower bear, nothing there. And so Brigham and his brother would scavenge the forest while their dad was gone. And on one occasion, they write about finding, seeing a robin, shooting the robin, cooking it up. And that was their food for that time. And so you can see through this, what you would definitely say is not ideal. It's an unideal circumstance for young Brigham to grow up in. He grew up with these strong muscles of courage and of what was possible, that when the Lord asked him to do something, you could say, this is impossible to bring us all over this barren land to even survive. Sounds crazy, let alone go and settle and make the desert blossom like a rose. But he believed he could do it. He could do it. So amazing stories. Tell me a little bit more about John. So with uh, Brigham Young's mother dying when he was fairly young, then how long was, uh, was John a single dad? John was a single dad the rest of the time. Never From remarried? What we have recorded, we don't have any record of him remarrying. He's one of those, we have this amazing picture in the book of all of the, the young sons. And my, our mother loves that one, probably the best of the whole book, because they look like these five bachelors, all with <laughs> different styles, hairs, and they're all in these, these great outfits and stuff. And they're just sitting by each other because they're all adults, which is a rare thing to see a group of adult siblings together at that time mm -hmm. and that they all they all accepted the gospel every one of them at some point and you could say also similar to Joseph to Joseph Smith senior that John also had a belief in a higher power and one thing that Brigham liked to say was that God never let his father be rich hmm. he just never let it happen with <laughs> all the things that he was trying that, that became their circumstance Did there really was something about the ruggedness of Brigham's growing up that prepped him to lead a people across the plains. And that that ruggedness and 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 hardship was necessary mm -hmm. for his becoming the lion of the Lord. Did John join the church and did he come west? He did not he did not come west. Did he, he did not but, come west. He did join, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So. His father did and and loved it. So John did, but did not come west. I'm going to look up here when he passed away. 
interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to note. Um, I mean, so recently, as we had uh, Matthew Godfrey, this was a couple episodes ago in the Cultural Hall, talking about just some contextual historical things uh, of these early folks. And I think that we always just sort of assume that like once one family member came, they all gathered around the fireplace and everyone joined the church and then it was happily ever after. But, you know, we talked about um, Emma Smith's parents and how they never joined, how they sort of thought Joseph Smith was, a you know, was a profiteer and, and a, you know, a, a, a little up in the night with what he was doing. And I think that we don't we don't sort of talk about that. So it's, it is interesting to know, first of all, single parent. And then second of all, that he joined but never came west. So let me correct what I had just said. In oh, here. no. So John did marry later. Okay. A woman named Hannah. They made it as far as Nauvoo. So then commerce in Nauvoo. And that is where John died. So, so he did come west as far as he could. What, what year was that? 1817 is when he married Hannah. And then they came further out in 1833. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So that so that's uh, that's an interesting little piece. Uh, all right, uh, Emily, it's back to you. Let me tell you uh, one of the more fascinating father figures in this group of men, Joseph F. Smith. Okay, so this is the son of Hiram. Okay, son of Hiram Smith. So probably the most fascinating aspect of Joseph F. Smith is to understand the background of his own um, experience with his own father vivid memories of standing in the road, seeing his father, Hiram, with Joseph riding horseback out to Carthage. Mm. So Hiram picks up his boy, Joseph F., hugs him goodbye, puts him on the street, and Joseph F., burned in his memory, remembers seeing them ride off mm. to what would be their, their death. Later, vivid memories of the brethren knocking on the door to inform his family of the martyrdom, of the murder of Joseph and Hiram. This is the background of his childhood. Um, crosses how, the how old? How old was he when it, when his father died? Let's see. He was. Math well, is was, super fun for people who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, only it, I had all that memorized. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it is interesting of note because you talk about that he, he feels like it, that it was seared in probably, you know, such a distinguished memory that throughout his life, no matter how old he would have been at that time, just would never forget it. Would never forget. It's true. And the, the trauma, I mean, you know, the sobbing of the household, the, the trauma of that, those experiences, um, those are kind of the background of his growing up. And, and Becca's found here is five and a half. was five wow. and a half years old. So think old. a kindergartner. Yeah. Think, think, that think of what you remember from being five and a half. Yeah. 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 Yes. And of course, being held over the caskets. Mm of uncle Joseph and his father. All of this is his background. So keeping that in mind, he of course crosses the plane, the plains, um, even helps drive a wagon. But after they reach the valley, they've only been there for four years. I think they were there for four years and his remarkable mother dies. Mm. So he's 13 years old, has lost both parents. And one of my favorite stories about him is after all of this has happened, he's the man of the house taking care of um, the family, his, specifically his younger sister, Martha Ann. They're in a one room schoolhouse 
And Joseph F., because of all of these experiences, is a rough character around the edges. Sure. He's angry. He's angry. He's got some bitterness. And he's got the most fiery temper that you can imagine. <laughs> he's sitting in this one-room schoolhouse. And his sister, his younger sister, Martha, does something, some commits some infraction. And the teacher comes after her with a leather switch. And he stands up and he says, don't you hit that. Don't you hit her with that. And when the teacher reprimands him, he beats up the schoolmaster. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Joseph F. beats up the, the schoolmaster. The future prophet. Wow. <laughs> so if you're worried about your kids, there's always a chance. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So here we have Joseph F., who truly if if we're if we're speaking honestly here he was kind of the juvenile delinquent of of the school he's kicked out of school obviously mm -hmm. and what saves him is his mission he goes on a mission and it, it's really quite a remarkable thing to read this entire chapter and see the transformation of a hard-edged man into one who his fathering is some of the most, the stories from his fatherhood are some of the most tender, gentle, sweet stories you will ever hear about fathering. Um, stories about when he lost his little daughter and rocking her as she is ill and listening to her take her last breath. Mm. The grief he expresses in his journals about her loss. Um, He's a beautiful writer. Yeah. In fact, anyone who's listening, I hope that you take that opportunity, how whatever your style is, to just write, write your life, write what it feels like. There's one time where he sits down and in a very raw way tries to spill out his emotions of losing a child. And it is beautiful mm. and heartbreaking. And I'm so glad he did it and didn't hide it. Yeah, absolutely. So his story is one just fascinating to us because of the the transformation of somebody who was who was really on the road to nowhere. Um, but because of the gospel, because of his holding to and, and, and recognizing faults, being humble, repenting, he was transformed. It, it's, probably, it's probably pretty fun, uh, both in the research for this book and in the reading of the book as well, um, because we have uh, the opportunity to look back on it, to see how these various experiences probably shaped a portion of their character and prepared them for being a prophet. Certainly in the time that they're experiencing them, they're like, well, this sucks, or this is hard, or I don't really understand the point of this. But it really can, I think, instruct us that way. Um, you know, if we're looking at our lives and being like, well, why this? This is the worst. It really can give us that perspective when we look at the span of an entire life of an individual to be like, oh, well, that's why. Well, clearly, if there was a purpose in that for that individual, there can be a purpose in whatever I'm experiencing for myself. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it. I, I, let's do one more and then we'll take a break. Which one should we do? Oh, there's too many, isn't there? Oh, we're, we've got to go to our current prophet's father. Okay. So this is President mm -hmm. Nelson's father. So uh, let me let me do some quick math here. I've got to think that this is probably, let's see, President Nelson is 96, 95, 96 this year, 96 this year. So he, we got to go back about 115, 120 years. So we're looking like born right before the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century, right? Well done. 1897. Hot dog. We're spot on. Yep. 
Get an A. Impressive. Again, math. <laughs> people people uh, really love the cultural hall because we have difficult conversations. That's what they come to, first of all. Second of all, they come here because of all the math we do in the show. So, <laughs> it's very educational. Yeah, well, sure, sure. So 1897. <laughs> 1897. So one thing that's really amazing about President Nelson's history is that it is it is coated in Christianity, that all of his grandparents and his great grandparents have a connection with the church going way back. In fact, if any of you are reading Saints 2, you remember that there's a part where there are missionaries sent over to be able to preach in the Norway, Sweden area. And there's a part where the missionaries are in prison for doing what they did. But there's someone else who was imprisoned, someone from the community who had called the king of Norway, Sweden to repentance. Hmm. And that that they don't mention in Saints 2, that is President Nelson's great grandfather. Why wouldn't they make a mention of that? I would think that that would be, especially if you're if you've got a group of people who would find that interesting. I know it. And one of the reasons they don't say it, I think, is because they want to keep it current. They mm. really don't do a lot of like later on this happened. It happens very rarely. Yeah. But we like to point it out here in the cultural hall. Yeah. Let's talk about it here. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So interestingly, Marion and his wife were not active in the church. In fact, the way their children talk about it is that they were indifferent. Hmm. They um, held on to amazing values. In fact, we talk in the book about how the hallmark of their family was the family relationship. It was the number one, took care of each other. He says every night was family night to gather and do music or work on homework or whatever it was, and visit. They're a very close, tight-knit family, but he simply did not grow up in a home where that was the norm. He grew up in a community where it was, mm -hmm. and he himself had personal interest in it that he's talked about um, at length. But one thing we wanted to share, and there's so many great ones in this chapter. To stall, talks, to stall oh, real quick, so to clarify, yes. just so I'm understanding, like his, yes. his, family's, or his family of origin would be what we would term like less active. They were members of the yeah. church, but didn't really go necessarily. Yes. Okay. Sometimes they would send their kids to Sunday school. Sure. So sometimes they would send Russell and the kids off to Sunday school. Sometimes he would go and sometimes he would pretend to go and go play football and then come back <laughs> at the right time and, and wonder if his parents thought, I wonder why he's so sweaty after yeah. coming home from Sunday yeah, school. church class. was really tough today. It was, oh, <laughs> man, we, it's really hot. Yeah. So if you have a child who's not enjoying primary, there is hope. The prophet wasn't real hip on it at first okay, either. Well. That's right. So later in, in Russell's life, he's married now. He is, he is fully into the gospel. They were married. Him and his wife were married in the temple. They both decided together they wanted the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be a major part of their life. You could say their life. Mm -hmm. And... But throughout time, he continued to have this wish, this dream that his dad, Marion, and his mother would be sealed so that their whole family could be sealed. In fact, he'll say later, we don't want any presents. We don't want those things for Christmas. We just want to be together forever. Hmm. So he says that he and his wife over the years, he used this word. We got to interview him asking about his father. And he said, we just nagged them. For years, we were nagging them about joining the church, and they were the kind of people that didn't want to be pushed, is how he put it. He said we would gift them scriptures or, or hymn books with their name inscribed on it. They'd never opened them. Hmm. And I loved how he said this. Can you hear him saying this? He said, it wasn't until they we turned on the love valve that we had a chance. Hmm. And that story comes to a very interesting interaction with President Kimball. As many know, they had a great relationship with the Nelson family. President Nelson operated on both President Kimball and his wife. So they had a great relationship in many ways. 
So it was his birthday party at a celebration for Spencer W. Kimball. And President Nelson had invited his parents to come and they attend this gathering. And President Kimball walks in the room and he makes a beeline for these Nelson parents, for, <laughs> for Marion and Edna. And he comes up to the mother first and he gives her a big kiss. And he thanks her for raising such a wonderful son who would end up saving his life. And then he goes over to Mary and gives him a big kiss and thanks him for raising a son of such integrity. And it was after that interaction, and it makes me teary thinking about it, that interaction that caused Marion and his wife to want to join, to want to be a part. And once they were in, he was 80 years old, Richie, when wow. he finally went to the temple. And this is decades of this nagging going on. <laughs> but once he was in, he was all in. In fact, oh, here it is. Here's the quote from the prophet. All my cajoling, nagging was for naught, but one act of love made a difference. The minute you can turn the love valve on, you've got a chance. The more we nag, the less likely we are to be successful. Because who wants to live eternally with a nag? <laughs> <laughs> now, now I have to, uh, I, I, I know I said one more story and then we're going to go to break. And the break is coming up and we'll come back and we'll do some more stories with you guys as we fill the rest of this hour. But you said you got to interview the prophet as part of this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to need, I know that this is, that is not a story about uh, fathers of the prophets, but I'm, I'm going to need details, at least a little bit of how I, I mean, how you were able to do it so that then maybe <laughs> I could figure out how I could do it, but then what that experience was like. Clearly because of our connection with Deseret book, that was something that was, that was handled through them. Um, President Nelson really is the only surviving family member who is in mind enough to give firsthand account mm. of his father. And I think because of that, he felt it his duty and his blessing to talk about his father. It is so, um, for one thing, we would share that President Nelson is everything that they say he is. Mm. There is a presence of power and strength. Um, there is a, a combination of a recognition of, of his real age, juxtaposed with being taken aback by how not his age he acts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he is most certainly sustained by a power beyond understanding in what he is doing. Um, the 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 experience of asking him questions and hearing him speak of his father um, is was a sacred one and I think one of the things that we came away so endeared to the prophet um, about is just the way he referenced his father he would refer to him as daddy mm. even in his in his autobiography that he wrote, wrote over 40 years ago even in the captions below his father's pictures he writes daddy Hmm. It's still that kind of relationship. We feel like that one word speaks volumes about his affection and respect for that man. Hmm. Um, it, it, it's just really a beautiful thing to hear him speak about his parents. And he was so welcoming and, and seemed happy and even giddy to talk about it, you know, to have an excuse to get to share these familial things that are your whole life. You know, he, he said multiple times he was the best father that ever was you know he just loved him and appreciated the respect he gave him and 
And he was also open to saying what he did not know. You know, there were a handful of questions that we had and we could rest assured if he didn't know, then we're just not going to know. Yeah. But we had written up a chapter beforehand, um, particularly when President Monson was not feeling well, that we were just doing some research and working on it. And we had a good chapter. He'd written enough and said enough about his father that we, we had some great stuff. But there were these gaping holes in our minds in the research that he was the only way we were going to know. And I remember one time during the interview, we were getting close to the amount of time we were asked to stay. Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned that we were going to need to leave, you know, and he just turned to his computer to, to look up something. And he said, well, we've got to know the truth. And he logs in to, to find out some information on family search that we've been asking about. Uh -huh. And we appreciated that. Mm -hmm. I love that. We've got to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I that that is an opportunity that I likely will never have uh, to be able to sit down with the prophet and be able to ask about his his father. But that what a what a awesome and as you mentioned, sort of sacred opportunity that that comes ab about this. If you uh, happened to audio record that interview and wanted to give that to someone, I know someone who would surely take that. <laughs> uh, but maybe we can talk about that <laughs> as we move into the third block of the cultural hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, Plus, scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together, so just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the third block of the cultural hall, um, we're going to get into some funny, maybe some serious, and, and certainly some more spiritual stories uh, from the book Fathers of the Prophets. But before we do, uh, if you've liked this episode, won't you please give us a review? I know all I do is ask. I just ask, ask, ask. But I give you so much, so much great content like what you're listening to. Wherever you're getting this episode, I would ask that if you have never, never left a review before, that you take a second and leave a five-star review that says, oh my gosh, this was the greatest episode. I can't believe these sisters and this amazing book that they've done about the fathers of the prophets or some variation of that. If you've got a one-star review that you'd like to leave, just keep that to yourself. Um, <laughs> I don't need to hear that. The, the internet doesn't need that garbage. Keep that right to yourself. Uh, Emily and Becca, you said during the break that you had a funny story, and I'm always down for a funny story, so let's do it. We have a great story that is also from the Nelson family. And so one thing we mentioned earlier that the hallmark of Nelson family tradition is family relationships. Mm -hmm. So you better believe that Marion wanted to take vacations with his family. And one thing that he notes is he didn't want it to be just a vacation for the kids. He wanted it to be a vacation for his wife as well. So yeah. he would make sure she wouldn't need to cook and clean as much. And, yeah, because otherwise so it's just babysitting on location. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Where you all are now in the same room yeah. sleeping together and all those fun things about road trips. But I wanted to read this write up that 
talks about a very infamous family road trip. So picture them leaving Utah, heading north across the Canada border. This is what happened. While driving in Jasper National Park, Daddy tried to shoo a bumblebee out of the car and ended up in the ditch, causing minor damage to the car in addition to creating an embarrassing inconvenience. Then while hiking in Yoho National Park, my mother twisted her ankle and sustained a very bad sprain, which caused her ankle to swell a great deal and she had to be assisted for the rest of the trip. Later on, I received, this is Russell talking, I received a bad bee sting on my thigh, which began to swell so much that I could not walk. My parents had to call a doctor to make a personal call at their hotel in Portland, Oregon. Later, as they walked together along the bank of the Columbia River, Robert, one of the brothers, tumbled down a steep embankment, heading toward the river below. All the members of the family quickly locked arms to form a human chain to reach him, saving Robert's life. Finally, Marion had had enough. He declared, everybody get in the car and locking all the doors. We're going straight home. We're not going to make any stops except for gas. After 17 hours of driving, the family breathed a sigh of relief as they climbed safely into their own beds. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> One of those you laugh about it later. Yeah. You do not laugh about it during the time, but certainly no. later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, so let's uh, let's hear some more stories. We've got uh, about fifteen minutes or so. I want to hear uh, other tales. We've gone kind of old. We've certainly gone contemporary. Let's fill in the middle. Sure thing. Let's talk a little bit. Why don't we talk about uh, George Spencer Monson? Okay. So here's a prophet. His prophet son, very much familiar to all of us. So beloved. But it's so fun to hear about his his father. His parents are actually just a blast to read about because they were Spencer and Gladys, the, the name of, of President Monson's mother. They were kind of a lesson in opposites mm. in a marriage. So you have, you have Gladys who was boisterous and loud and extremely social. She was just a riot, <laughs> mm-hmm. hilarious sense of humor, very free dispensing advice, <laughs> very compassionate, very involved in other people's lives. And then George was her polar opposite almost in every way. In fact, he found great comfort in the fact that he could kind of sit in the corner and be quiet while Gladys was the, the, was the show. Yeah. She was the show. <laughs> and so George, I just adore this man. What, as, the, as I read about him, he was quiet. He was simple. He was humble. He actually worked in, as a, in a printing office. He worked for Western Hotel Register. Um, so he was a printer, came home with black fingers from work every day, um, but just a quiet, humble, sweet man. Um, but his his kind of hallmark trait is his compassion for the underdog. Hmm. That was kind of his, his what he is remembered um, most for by his his children. There are stories about how he hired a deaf man to work for the printing press and would write out instructions laboriously. He would handwrite the instructions out so that this man could work and provide for his family. Um, there was a family who had a beautiful little girl with Down syndrome that he would visit all the time. Mm. And he would focus in on this little sweet girl. There are stories about that actually President Monson has told on multiple occasions about how he would visit his uncle Elias, who was a cripple, and he would gently carry this uncle to his car, carried him like a China doll, mm. President Monson used to say. 
and would carry him to the car and take him on Sunday drives, would drive him around to see things. Now, all of these acts, these very quiet things are being watched by his son. Um, and when you consider the hallmark message of President Monson's life of ministering to the one, ministering to the widow, the spur of the moment, spirit-driven visits to the hospital, um, just as someone is lays dying and, and needed him in that moment, um, it is fascinating to read about the quiet father who probably engendered much of those traits that, that President Monson's life manifested so powerfully and in such a public way um, that we're aware of. So we, I love, I love reading about George. So I know you probably have a direction that you want to do this, but I, I love a Lorenzo. So I'm hoping that we can learn about Lorenzo's father. So I don't know where you were going to go. If you were going to go there, what a happy coincidence. If you weren't too bad, we're, <laughs> we're going to go there now. <laughs> we'll take it. So Oliver Snow the third, that's Lorenzo's father's name. So mm. when you think about the Snow family, I want you to think about these amazing children. Eliza R. Snow and Lorenzo are two of the most well-known of the family. They are four children in the family, each one remarkable in their own right. Um, Oliver was a, a very educated man, grew up in New England, but sought to expand his area and went out to the Ohio is what they called it, mm -hmm. out to the Ohio where he had a few friends and a family member who were starting to, to a homestead there. And, you, and over time you could say he was probably one of the more wealthier members of the community. He was very hardworking. He built multiple homes there as his family would grow. In his business, he hired Eliza to be his secretary because she was just so good. Mm -hmm. She did such a great job. And so she would go to work with him and help him out. He was a teacher at times and Lorenzo went on to take on that teaching profession. But one of the stories that I love actually involves another father of the prophet, which is such an intriguing connection. Yeah. Joseph Smith Sr. So there was a time in, so Oliver followed the saints through the most brutal times. And I will give a little teaser here that, that Oliver did not come West. Hmm. And I'll let you read to find out why. Uh, but it Ooh, was it was challenging. It was is, challenging for their family. That is quite the tease. All right. There is a teaser. Right, so this first right. story, they're with the saints. They're in it. They, they've accepted the gospel. They were actually taught by Sidney Rigdon. They were in his congregation before Sidney was uh, joined this church. And there was a lot of trouble going on with false arrests and brutalities going on. And Oliver was seen as a quiet, strong man. And so Joseph Sr. had actually been arrested. Um, he didn't do anything wrong. He was arrested on false charges. He was brought into the courtroom area. And there was a man who was not fully supportive of the church, but you could say was more of a, uh, he wasn't in, for, in it for the brutality, just more like maybe to have something to barbershop talk about. You can't mm -hmm. say that. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up being the one who would represent Joseph Sr. in this, this lawsuit. And so he, he tells the court, I would like to speak with my, client in this privately before we begin. And so he takes him into the room, they close the door and he pulls this little nail out from the window that was holding the window shut and he opens it up and he looks down and he basically points and tells him to, to go on out. So he jumps out the window, makes it to the ground and he'd made sure beforehand that it was not so far that he would be injured by sure. the escape. Sure. And he tells him to go to Oliver Snow's house. He's a quiet man. No one will suspect. Go to Oliver Snow's house. So then this man, putting on his actor self, 
leaves the room and he comes walking out, pretending as though Joseph Sr. is following him from behind. And then he turns around and where did he go? And he looks back in the room, he looks around and he's nowhere. And he just tells everybody, it's another one of those Mormon miracles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. What a, what a, what a fun journey for you guys uh, to be able to... Um... To, to be able to not only learn about the history of the church, but to be able to to uh, really get to know on a deeper level those who have led the church, you know, since the time of Joseph Smith. Was it a unique experience? You talked about um, being able to work with not only with your mom, but as, as the two of you being sisters. Was that, uh, I, I always envision that it goes really well until it doesn't. Was there ever, a, <laughs> this story needs to be in, well, I'm the older sister, so I get to say... <laughs> Was there any of that kind of stuff going on? We we had we had moments of where we had I wouldn't say we ever argued about it, uh-huh. but I think that there were, you know, just having to to come to an agreement on certain things, but I don't have any memories of it ever being like negative. You know, it was just more like working with your your partner on right. on a on a project. You know, the way we started, this might be interesting, is we just sat down together in our mom's study in her home in Hyde Park. And we just looked at all the names, we looked at all the names, we listed them all out. And then we kind of did C's in a little bit, but in a nice <laughs> way, we picked out, we just kind of pick which one, you know, oh, mom, you've always loved the McKay's. Do you want to work on the McKay chapter? Emily, you've been reading a lot about the Smith family. Why don't you take those ones on? Or I don't know anything about Apec Woodruff. I'll take that one on. Uh-huh. And it just really molded together really beautifully. We really never had any dukings about anything. No. Um, just, we both really respect each other's skill Mm -hmm. and we'd share with each other when we find something, you know, we have on our boxer, we would guess what, guess what I just read, or guess what I just found on this or the, the frustrating things, you know, when this book was actually delayed two years for things that were out of our control. And, uh, and that was really discouraging and, and having to work together. on so how do we handle that? How do we communicate these things in a good way? And, um, so I would I would totally say it's been an amazing and very positive experience yeah. working as yeah. a family. And and it's cool, too, that when we talk about kind of the lineage of Leonard, that it that in a way, right, it's honoring um, the memory and the life of that patriarch of your family. Right. And so that absolutely the things that you guys are doing, you can certainly l- lend back to. Leonard and what he was doing as well. Absolutely. And there is, there is a tender aspect of this project. Um, as this project began and progressed, our father, Dean Madsen, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And so in the midst of this focus on the power and the might of fatherhood, our own father was who, who by all respects was very much a pillar of the community in every way. Mm-hmm. He was in his service, but also just in who, who he was. And so his diminishing capacities, he who has been a pillar for us personally as a father, um, the, the, the trauma and also the sacredness of seeing him decline and his passing, which happened in November of last year. And so, so that, that really um, affirmed in, in so many ways turned our minds to the the power and the strength of fatherhood and it's not just not just that it's great in the plan of salvation or or a good thing but that it is essential 
um, was so wrought upon our minds through that experience. And the book is actually dedicated to our father, oh, Dean Madsen. What a sweet, thank and, you for sharing that. That's, yeah. that's a tender experience for sure. Yeah, I think nothing riles me or gets my blood boiling like the portrayals that I see of men and fatherhood in media. Yeah. Well, we're just um, dumb. Think, we're just we're just dumb guys. That's all. <laughs> that is the portrayal, and I tell you, that just gets me boiling. I, the portrayal of men as either, um, either, like you said, lazy, dumb, lazy, um, prone to following through on all passions, violent, um, or unnecessary and absent. All yeah. of those messages, as as certainly put forth by the adversary. Nothing makes me more angry than that because Becca and I are firsthand witness to the power and strength and um, essential capacities that a father brings to a marriage and to a family. They are, they are just magnificent. And I think that that's what we hope the message of this book, the overarching message of this book is, is to refute that kind of portrayal. Yeah. All right, ladies, there's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, so I'll ask them of you right now. Uh, Emily, you first. Do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I am serving in the young women's, serving with what formerly known as beehives. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about you, Becca? I'm the young women camp director. So you got, got the you got the best year. calling for this year. <laughs> the best calling. <laughs> Emily, if you could uh, pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Any calling involving teaching young people. Okay. Any calling involving teaching young people. And when we say young people, are we saying anyone under 18 or are we saying like yes. 12 to 18? Any under 18. Okay. Okay. They are, they are magnificent. Yep. All right, Becca. Same question to you. Oh, I have a twofold. Mine would either be the greeter or the primary chorister. Okay. Okay. <laughs> primary chorister is a fave here in the cultural hall. Uh, gre oh. Greeter, I feel like that position is going to change once we start going back and worshiping <laughs> together. So it's maybe true. A Greeting different. from a distance. Maybe you'll be the person who squirts a little dollop of uh, <laughs> antibacterial in everybody's hands. I'm telling you, I guarantee that will be a thing. That will be a calling. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask the the last question, uh, and I'll just ask it at large, and then um, whichever of you feels like you would like to answer it first, but I'll ask that you both answer it. Um, the question is, what is your favorite part of your faith? I'm, I'll answer first. I think one of the favorite things about my faith is that it always comes back to love. I feel like when love is present, then it brings a host of answers and it brings hope. It brings a better perspective, the ability, higher heightened abilities to be able to function and forgive and thrive. I think it's one of my favorite things that I know about Heavenly Father is that he, he loves and that that's why his son came. And the reason his son did what he did is because he loves hmm. us and the Father. And the reason that he's asked us to follow him is to show our love for him. All right, Emily, bring us home. Beautiful. I think the aspect of my faith that I most treasure is the hope that comes from a dependence on a savior. 
um, the hope um, that one can view one's fall fallibilities and one's um, weakness, one's most awful mistakes, and know that there is a being of perfection that um, can heal and change. I love the theme of change and hope, um, that, that when we view ourselves in our mortal state, it is so heavy and discouraging sometimes, wondering how will I ever overcome this tendency that I have that just hangs on and on and on. And it is that hope that comes from a savior who with, with, who's all merciful, all powerful, and who's mighty to save. Mm. Um, that dependence on him brings me so much hope and joy that I can change and become. The name of the book is Fathers of the Prophets. My guests has been uh, Emily Jones and Becca Thornton. It's Rebecca on the book. So don't get confused as far as that goes. You can find a link for that if you'd like to purchase it and check it out, uh, whether a Father's Day gift or just something to have for your own personal library uh, attached to this episode at theculturalhall.com. Ladies, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.